right, you may be seated. If you have your uh, Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 10. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and we'll, uh, we'll jump right there. Uh, before we do that, though, I, I do want to, um, I mentioned it last week, with it last week being July 1st. If you haven't done so yet, um, and I know we're, we're a few days in, so you may have trouble trying to catch up. Um, but we are, we are, as a church, I'm encouraging everyone to read through the New Testament uh, in 30 days. And if you are participating with me, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Uh, we've read a lot of scripture this week. Uh, we've already read uh, the book of Matthew. We've read all chapter 28, or ch- 28 chapters there. We read the book of Romans. We read the book of Galatians. We read the book of Ephesians. And today we will be finishing the book of Mark. So that is a lot of scripture to, uh, to go through in a week. But I got to tell you, it's exciting stuff. It, it, it is very exciting. So um, Acts chapter 10, as you can see up on the screen, this message is entitled, The Gospel Comes to the Gentiles. And normally, uh, if you've been with us, you know this, but uh, if you haven't been with us for a while, um, normally what I do is I'll take a chapter and I'll break it down. Like we spent like five or six weeks in, in Acts chapter 9. We're doing the entire chapter today. So I hope you brought a sandwich. It's 1130. We should be done by about 2. All right. <laughs> no, uh, we, we are actually, we are going to do the entire chapter here. Don, don't worry. It's, um, it'd be 39 minutes instead of the 40. So, I, all right. Um, now we are, uh, being that this is Acts chapter 10, we're about a third of the way through the book of Acts. And, and this is what we're going to talk about today. The gospel coming to the Gentiles is actually a very important event in the history of the church. Um, so let me recap what's been going down. So In Acts chapter 1, way back we looked at it in January, Acts chapter 1, Jesus is still on earth. He gathers all of his disciples together. They're on the the mount, and he gives them a final command. And then after he's done telling them, hey, you're going to be my witnesses, you're going to get the Holy Ghost, and after after the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the earth. After he gets done saying that, he goes up into heaven. And and the the disciples are kind of looking at each other like, all right, what do we do now? Well, then we get to Acts chapter 2, and they're all gathered together. They're about to have a prayer meeting, and the Holy Ghost comes down. The Holy Spirit comes down on them, and things just go bananas. They they start speaking in tongues. They start praising God and giving glory to him. And people are coming, and they're going, what in the world is going on here? And that's when Peter breaks out and starts delivering the gospel to the Jewish people. Then things continue on, and we get to... Uh, we get to uh, Acts chapter 6. Stephen is one of the deacons, and he's, he's going preaching, and people get upset with him. So they, they grab him, they arrest him, and they say, well, look, what are you doing? Stephen busts out with this sermon, basically going over all of Jewish history, and, and he gets to the place, and the people that are listening get so infuriated with him. They're, they're so cut to the quick, I guess is the saying, that they, pick, they drag him out of the city, they pick up stones, and they start... They, they basically, well, they don't basically do it. They stone him to death. Stephen becomes the first martyr, the first person to die for this new, new belief. Once that happens, the Bible tells us immediately a persecution breaks out. And so the Jewish, uh, or the, the, uh, the, lost my train of thought there. The believers, they scatter. And one of the places that they go, there's a guy named Philip. He goes to a city called Samaria. And while he's there, he begins to give them the gospel, and people start to believe. Peter shows up on the scene to find out what's going on, because the Jews and the Samaritans, they don't like each other very much. And while he's there, the Holy Spirit comes to the Samaritans. 
So we got the, the, the Holy Spirit coming to the Samaritans. We got, I'm sorry, to the Jewish people. We got the Holy uh, Spirit coming to the Samaritans. But to this point, the gospel and the Holy Spirit has not come to anybody who is not Jewish, whether they're born Jewish or whether they are a convert to Judaism. Even in Acts chapter 8, when uh, Philip met with the, um, the Ethiopian official, he was a Jew, he was, he was a person who had converted to Judaism. So all of, this, all of this takes place in the first 10 years. And so what we've seen right so far is we've seen a partial fulfillment of what Jesus told people to do. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which they were, in all Judea, which they were, in Samaria, but so far... That's as far as it's gone. As far as it's gone is, is to Samaria. The rest of that is, and to the end of the earth. And so what we're going to see today is that this is about to change. Because something is going to happen, and the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles. An incredible drama is about to unfold. And like any good play, there are several acts in this play. All right. As I was studying, I was looking at using a book uh, by a gentleman named Warren Wearsby. If you're not familiar with Warren Wearsby, I suggest you get some of his books and read them. They are fantastic. They're, they're, they're good. Uh, it, it, he writes in kind of a, a folksy manner. He'll really help you understand the scripture. Uh, I'm using his, his breakdown of this. Um, so what we're going to look at after we pray is uh, the preparation, the explanation, the proclamation, and the vindication. It's, it's alliterated, but at the end instead of at the beginning. So let's pray, and then we will uh, we'll jump into this. Father, I, I thank you for this passage of Scripture, Lord. I thank you, um, I thank you that the, the gospel was made known to the Gentiles as we're about to see take place here in this, uh, in this passage of Scripture. And so, Lord, I pray that you would uh, open our hearts and open our minds, allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak to each one of us in the way that, that he would deem fit, so that we would be more like your son, Jesus, as a result of us being here today. We pray all this in your beautiful name. Amen. All right, so the first thing that we see here in Acts chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 22, I'm not going to read all of them because um, for sake of time, but Acts, 10, uh, Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 22, is the preparation. And so what, what we have here is, is, we'll start with this question. Why did it take 10 years for the gospel to get to the Gentiles. I mean, it went to the Jews right away. Like, bang, it was there. Right? It took a little bit longer for it to get to the Samaritans. But then once that took place, there was this long period of time before the gospel went from the Jews and the Samaritans to the Gentiles. And so why did it take so long? Well, God was preparing all of the people who would be involved. You can't just start doing something without making preparation first. Last night, um, we had Dan over for dinner. Dan uh, was doing some work down in my basement, and it ran a little late. And um, Tina was like, well, you got to feed him. Like, do we have to feed him? Right? So, but, um, so we had Dan over for dinner, and uh, one of the things that we had for dinner was we had uh, eggplant fries. I don't know if you've ever had eggplant fries. One of the greatest things on the history of the world, okay? I don't know if that makes sense, but... Um, so basically, you, you chop up an eggplant, you kind of cut them into, into strips, you, you dip them in egg, and then you roll them in panko breadcrumbs, put them in the oven, and you roast them on 450 for, I'm giving you the recipe here, y'all should be writing this down, because you know I'm telling the truth, right? 
You, you, you roast them in the oven and then you pull them out, dip them in some marinara sauce. Oh man, they are fantastic. But you can't just take an eggplant, like you go to the store, you can't just buy an eggplant and go, I want some eggplant fries. You have to prepare it. You have to chop it. You have to mix the eggs for your egg wash. You have to put the panko breadcrumbs. Everything has to be prepared. God was bringing some change to the Christian believers, but before he could do that, he had to prepare them. And so that's what we see uh, going on here. Uh, as we see at the beginning of this chapter, I'm going to read verse 1 uh, of chapter 10. It says, There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole, his whole household. He did many charitable works for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. So there was this man. His name was Cornelius. He was a Roman citizen. He was a Roman soldier. And he was a, uh, a, a very devout person. He had grown, basically what, what we can pull from this is that he had grown up learning all about the Roman religion. He had grown up in all of those things, and he had grown tired of the emptiness that came along with it. Right? He, he, was, he was following the, the religion in Rome, and he was, he was tired of it. So he began to look for other things to fill that void. There's this guy named Pascal. Right, not the little, some of you watch Disney movies, not the, the little chameleon. Jack knows what I'm talking about. All right, there's a guy named Pascal, really smart people read his books. I found a quote here. It says this, What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once a man in true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there to help not there, the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can only be filled with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. Cornelius was searching for something to fill that void, and the only thing that was going to fill it was God himself. And he was about as close as you could be to being a Jew without actually having converted. He was a completely religious person, but here's the kicker. He was not saved. He was doing all of the right things. He was praying the prayers. He was doing the charitable deeds. He was doing all of those things, but he was not saved. And that, that's, that's like so many people that we often run into today, where we, we have people that are, are, are giving money and they're doing charitable deeds and they even come to church and they're like, I've got religion. I'm a good person. I'm, I am all of these things. But the fact of the matter is, they're not saved. Right? That may be some of you sitting here today. You're thinking, I'm a good person. I do all of these things. But you may not be saved. The, no amount of prayer, no amount of attending church or doing good works will save you. Salvation only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only way that salvation comes. All of those things, going to church, reading your Bible, doing good works, giving money to the church, all of those things are the fruit of our salvation, but they are not the root of our salvation. We are not saved by doing those things. We, we do those things because we are saved. The major difference between Cornelius and other religious people, though, is Cornelius knew that he was not a believer. He knew that he was saved, and that's the reason that he was praying, because he was searching for those things. 
In Acts chapter 11, we'll see next week, Cornelius states that he was praying for God to show him how to be saved when he received this message to send for Peter. If you read in this section, um, while he's praying, an angel visits him. And he says, the angel says, listen, there's a man named Peter. He's in a town called Joppa. It's about 30 miles from here. He's staying with Simon the Tanner. I need you to go and get him. He's got something to tell you. And so uh, Cornelius, I mean, an angel shows up and tells you to do something. Guess what you're going to do? You're going to do it. You're going to follow it to the T. And so Cornelius, he immediately got up. He grabbed two of his household servants, and he grabbed one of his soldiers. He said, look, listen, there's a man named Peter. He's in Joppa. It's 30 miles from here. I need you to go and get him. Bring him back here to me. So while, this, and while all of this was happening, Peter was in Joppa. Now, it's about lunchtime for Peter. And Peter's hungry, because that's what happens at lunchtime, right? All right, it's 11.42 in about 15 minutes. I'm going to start hearing your stomachs rattle, stomachs. (laughs) Um, But in addition to Cornelius needing to be prepared, Peter had to be prepared as well. Peter was not ready for what was about to go place, to take place as we're about to see. For his entire life, Peter had been an Orthodox Jew. He followed every rule and every law that was given in, in the Torah. He followed all of those things. He was headed in the right direction because he was in Joppa. We saw how he ended up in Joppa last week. He was staying with Simon, and Simon's job was a tanner. Right? And if you read in the book of Leviticus, people who were tanners, they worked with dead animals. They were considered ceremonial, ceremonially unclean most of the time because of their job. And Peter, when he was headed in the right direction, he was in, in the steps for this preparation because he was staying with this guy, even though he was considered unclean. However, the Gentiles, the guys that were coming to visit him, that was an t- entirely different story. Peter was staying with Simon because Simon was a Jew, right? But then there were these Gentiles that were coming over to see him. They were foreign and strange, at least as far as the Jewish customs and covenants were concerned. But that being said, both the Jews and the Gentiles are the same when it comes to our condemnation in sin and our need for salvation. Romans 3, 22 and 23 says this, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't say the Jews are okay, but the Gentiles, forget about them. It says all have sinned. But also it says this in Romans 10, 12 and 13, Since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, the Greek meaning Gentile, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on on the name of the Lord will be saved. So like I said, Peter was hungry, and while he was waiting for his dinner, he he ordered some, uh, I don't know, Master Walk or uh, Great Wall or whatever it was that he was about to eat. I'm thinking about what I want to eat. That's what, all right. While he was doing that, he went up on the roof and he was praying. While he was up there, he fell into a trance. And and he got this really strange vision. Just this bizarre thing started happening. While he's up there, he sees this sheet coming down from heaven. It's just a blanket coming down from heaven. And in the midst of that blanket are all kinds of animals. Some of them are clean and some of them are unclean. And he hears this voice. Remember, he's hungry. He hears a voice from God saying, Peter... I want you to get up, I want you to kill something, and I want you to eat it because you're hungry. Now, we think that when God tells us to do something, we need to do it. Peter, on the other hand, goes, "Uh uh-uh, Lord, I ain't doing that. 
You know I've been a good Jew in my entire life. He looked at God and he said, God, no, I'm not going to do it. And then the, the, he got the image and the sheet came down another time. And he heard the words, Peter, you're hungry. Get up, kill something, and eat it. And Peter's like, no, Lord, those things are unclean. I'm not going to touch them. I'm not going to eat them. I'm not going to mess myself up. He kept doing this. Now, this, if you've, I said he was in Joppa. Some of y'all may, from reading the scripture, you may know Joppa is a town that we've, we, we know from the Old Testament. There was a dude named Jonah. God told Jonah to go do something. And Jonah skedaddled over to Joppa because he wasn't listening to God either. Things did not go well for Jonah. All right? Things did not go well for him at all. If you want to know what happens, uh, grab your Bible. You can read the book of Jonah later. Um, thankfully, God was a little bit more understanding with Peter. He, was, he, he gave him a little bit more uh, grace in this, uh, and he, gave, he let him see this vision three different times until finally he woke up, and, 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 and he, while he woke up, and basically what God was trying to tell him was, Peter, I know you think things are clean and unclean. As far as I'm concerned, if I've made them, they are clean. Jews are clean because they're made in my image. Gentiles are clean because they're made in my image. And Peter was sitting there mulling this over, trying to understand what it was that God was trying to, 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 get, to get across to him. And, and while he did this, the people showed up. Now, Peter was wrong to tell God no. All right. People have told God no before, and it did not go well for them. Right? The, the scripture is full of uh, things where it did not go well. Peter was wrong for doing this, even if it was, he was doing it for reasons that he thought were legitimate. He had been trained his whole life not to do anything with Gentiles. And now here God shows up and says, go, you know, I want you to eat these unclean animals. And there are going to be times where you and I, we do the same thing. All right? An idea or a command from God comes. We, 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 uh, an idea is presented, vision is cast, whatever it might be, and it's going to mess up the way that we do things or the way that we're used to having things done. And so what do we do? We look at God and go, uh-uh, I ain't doing that. I'm not going to do that, God. Even though you're specifically telling me to do this, I'm not going to do it because it's going to make me uncomfortable. God, that's not how we do things. We have not done things like that in 60 years, Lord, and we ain't doing it today, right? Um, I just finished reading a book um, from, a, from a, a guy. He was a, he's the president of a seminary. And in, his, in this book, they had to move the entire seminary. I don't know how, if you know how much work it takes to move an entire seminary. And they weren't just moving it from one building across the street to another building. They were moving it from one location in California to 50 miles down the road to another location. And when, it, when this idea was presented to him, his initial reaction was, God, that is craziness. All right? You've done lost your mind, God. But the more that he prayed about it and the more that, that he trusted God for it, Everything started to fall into place. And today, that seminary is thriving. And, and, and things are going fantastic for that seminary. The president of that seminary gave a speech at the uh, Southern Baptist Convention just a couple weeks ago. And it was remarkable to hear all of the things that God is doing because they were faithful to trust him when God called them to make some kind of change that they weren't ready for. 
or didn't think they were ready for. We have to be willing to follow God's commands and directions, even if it's uncomfortable and even if it's unpleasant in the beginning. Things were about to change as far as Peter and the church were concerned. And I can promise you, it was uncomfortable for them. It was, it was, it was stretching them, it was moving them in a direction that they did not think that they were ready to go in. That they, Some of them probably didn't want to go in. But God said, this is what I want you to do. You need to do this. And failing to follow God's plan is nothing but pride and sin. Now, thankfully, Peter, after he came out of his trance, while Peter was pondering this and what it meant for the future of going forward, the group of men from Cornelius arrived. And so that brings us to our second act, and that's the explanation. We see that in Acts chapter 10, 23 through 33. And uh, I'm going to read verses, uh, I'm going to just read just a little bit here. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and set out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. The following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell, fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up, I myself am also a man. So what, what's happening here is Peter comes downstairs and these guys that came from Cornelius, from Joppa, they finally, or I'm sorry, from Caesarea, they finally arrived in Joppa. And Peter says, hey, you've had a long journey. Come inside. Which was a huge, it, it doesn't seem like a big deal. But remember, these guys weren't Jews. These, these were Gentiles. Peter inviting Gentiles into his house was a complete paradigm shift. And you can imagine some of the people that were probably in there with him were probably sticking their head out the door going, get in here quick, because they were afraid that, that other Jews were going to see him and it was going to go badly for them. Um, Peter was beginning to understand what God was doing, that the gospel was for everyone. So the next morning he gets up with some of, his, uh, some of the guys from the church. Um, uh, Warren Wearsby says that he took six of them with him. I didn't see it in my scripture, but I'll trust him. Um, and they set out for Caesarea, which is 30 miles, about a two days journey. Now, we make th I drive 30 miles to work every morning. It takes me about 45 minutes or so, if I'm lucky. They didn't have the, uh, the, the, um, the vehicles that we do today. They basically had right foot and left foot, and that's how they, how they got around. Um, and when Peter and his group arrived, Cornelius was waiting for them. Like, he was excited. You ever, you ever have one of those moments where you're waiting for something to happen? And, and you, you, uh, Tina went out with somebody the other night, and uh, while she was waiting, she, she was like, I'm sorry, I, I know I'm embarrassing her. She was like a little kid. She was sitting right by the door, just waiting for, waiting for the car to pull in the driveway. And as soon as she did, she was like, like I, uh, see ya? <laughs> I mean, she was, she was excited. That's what, I mean, I'm in trouble for that, aren't I? Okay, all right. Um, but Cornelius was waiting for him, and he was so excited that Peter was coming that he not only was waiting for him himself, he went out and got his family and a bunch of his boys. He's like, guys, Peter is coming to town. Right? I don't know. It, it, it reminds me of that in my head. I've got that scene from Elf where uh, uh, Buddy finds out that Santa's coming to town. He's like, ah! Right? I know him. I know him. That's what he's excited but here's the thing. They weren't just interested in a lecture from this Jewish leader. 
They wanted to hear the gospel. They were excited to hear about it. Cornelius was so hungry for Jesus that he went out and got his family and close friends so that they could hear it as well. This man wasn't even a believer, but he knew that the message was something that everybody needed to hear. Peter came in the house, and like I read, Cornelius immediately bowed down to him. Now, not wanting to get any credit for himself, Peter said, look, don't do that, man. I'm a man just like you, right? I, I am the same way. Peter then proceeded to tell Cornelius and those with him about the message that he had received from God, that all men, regardless of what society might say, are clean and worthy to God. And I think sometimes we, we, we fall into that trap where if somebody doesn't look like us or dress like us or smell like us or doesn't live in our neighborhood, well, we think they're not worthy of our time. And that's one part of what Peter, or God was trying to get across to Peter was like that these people, they don't look like you, they don't smell like you, they don't dress like you, they don't live in your neighborhood, but guess what? They're valued to, valuable to me because they're made in my image. They are image bearers of Christ, and so therefore they are valuable to me. I need you to go share the gospel with them. The thing to see from this passage is that God will hear the prayers of those seeking salvation. Remember, Cornelius was a religious man, but his religion couldn't save him. There are many who will say that there are many different paths to Jesus and that all religions end up the same place. They couldn't be more wrong. Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus teach this, teaches this. He says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. And in John chapter 14, he says this. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The path of salvation is narrow and it's exclusive, but it's there for those who humble themselves and seek God's forgiveness. That's what Cornelius was doing. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Now the third act that we have is after the explanation the third act that we have is the proclamation. So Peter gets, Peter arrives, and I mean, Peter, this, this is Peter's bread and butter, right? Anytime Peter has an audience, you know what Peter's going to do? Peter's going to preach the gospel. Peter's going to start talking about Jesus. All right, we, we saw it in, in Acts chapter 3. We saw it again when they were arrested a second time. Anytime Peter has an audience, he is going to talk about Jesus. Um, Right? He starts with the amazing revelation that he understands that the gospel message is for everyone, not just a select group of people. Acts chapter 10, verse 36. Let me read that here. It says, He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Peter then tells Cornelius and his family that Jesus died for them, that he was buried and that three days later, he came back to life. In Acts chapter 10, 43, Peter tells him that everyone who believes in Jesus will receive forgiveness for their sins. When Peter uses that word, everyone, the hearts of his listeners opened and they put their faith in Jesus because they understood that this message that he was proclaiming wasn't just for, for Jews like Peter, it was for everyone, and that's why he was there. Their salvation was instantaneous. There was no need for them to come forward and pray a prayer. There was no need for them to, to jump through all of these hoops. The moment they believed in Jesus, their salvation took place. 
What was needed, though, was Peter's message. Cornelius and his family had been praying and doing all of these things, but they weren't believers. They didn't have the faith until they heard the gospel proclaimed to them. There can be no faith without the proclaiming of God's word. There's a saying, it's pithy and it's ridiculous. Right? And it angers me when I hear this. Uh, there's a saying, it goes um, like this. It says, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. Right? And that, 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 that's often quoted to a guy named uh, St. Francis of Assisi. He's the, uh, uh, the founder of the Franciscan monks. Um, but the, the, uh, the, that quote is false for two reasons. Number one, like I just told you, he never said it. Right? They, they took some of his things. I think they took all, like, all of his writings and, and picked a couple words out and squeezed them together to make something pithy so they could slap it on a T-shirt or a coffee cup. But the, uh, the second is you can't preach the gospel without using words. The gospel is a verbal proclamation. Romans chapter 10, 14 through 17 says this. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not, all who, not, but not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. They believed because Peter went and shared the message with them, and their hearts were open. Now the fourth thing that we come to, is the vindication. This is the final act. This is Acts 10, 44 through 48. While Peter was preaching, Peter didn't even get to finish his sermon. Uh, the Bible tells us here in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. He wasn't even done with his sermon yet. And the Holy Spirit says, hold on a second. It's time for me. And he shows up. He came down... Um, and the Cornelius and his family, this Gentile group, they believed in Jesus and they received the Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues. And we saw that in Acts chapter 2. We saw that in Acts chapter 8 with the Samaritans. Um, the miracle of speaking in other tongues was given as a sign to those who had come with Peter. Remember, there were people who had come from uh, the church in Joppa with him to go see what was going to happen in Caesarea. But they weren't privy to the information that Peter had. They hadn't seen the vision. They hadn't been given uh, that, that talking to from God. So when they received the Holy Spirit, as we saw in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 8, as a miracle to show other people that this had happened, they began to speak in other languages. Um, so it's very likely that these people were a little skeptical about what they were doing in Caesarea and why Peter was sharing with the, the Gentiles about Jesus. However, that skepticism was put aside when this remarkable event took place. As I said, when we discussed something similar in Acts chapter 2, not every believer will speak in tongues. Right? That, that is when they're saved. This was a miraculous sign that God used to show others that the Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit. It was God's stamp of approval to say, these, children, these people now belong to me. Um, Immediately following this miracle, Peter says, well, now that they've received the Holy Spirit, let's get some water. Let's get a baptism going on, right? We celebrated a baptism last week here. Uh, fantastic event. I love doing baptisms. I love, I, hopefully you all enjoy them a, a, as much as I enjoy being a part of them. They are a, a great time. Um, 
Their, the, the Cornelius and his family, their salvation was not dependent on their baptism, but it served as a sign that they were now all on equal ground. The Jews, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles were all the same in the eyes of God and now had all received the gospel. After this was done, Cornelius asked Peter and his team to remain with them for a few days. It says in uh, Acts chapter uh, 10, 48, he said, he commanded them to be baptized in the, name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. And this right there, the, the, the salvation, the baptism, and then him staying was a fulfillment of Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20, which says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, in, this, in a story with many pivotal moments, as we read through Acts, I probably said it, well, we're on chapter 10, so I probably said it, however many sermons I've preached, um, that there are, this is a pivotal moment. This is a pivotal moment. I get up here and say, this is a big event. This is a big event. There are big events all through the book of Acts. This is probably one of the biggest. Like, I, like with my favorite verses, y'all should probably write this down. Oh, he's going to say big event in Acts again today. The Holy Spirit and the gospel coming to the Gentiles was extremely pivotal. It was extremely important. Were it not for this event, were it not for Peter traveling from Joppa to Caesarea and bringing the gospel to Cornelius, it is very unlikely that you and I would be sitting here today. Right? Because I don't know, I mean, I don't know everybody in the room. I don't know how many of you are, are Jewish and would have had the opportunity had not Peter gone to the Gentiles to take the gospel to them. We are recipients of the gospel because of Peter's willingness to follow God's command, even when it was going to be painful, as we'll see next week in, uh, in Acts chapter 11. Not everybody was happy about this. Not everybody was excited that Peter broke protocol and went to the Gentiles. And although he was hesitant at first, Peter demonstrated a willingness to embrace the change that God was calling the church to follow. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, we saw them, and we see them in the Gospels, we saw them at the first part of Acts. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were not willing to accept the paradigm shift that Jesus presented, and it led to their destruction. They, they weren't willing to get on board with Jesus, and it did not go well for them because they were so mired in their traditions and, and, and the way that they had always done things that they couldn't get past that to see that the Messiah that they were waiting for was in fact Jesus Christ. Peter understood God's desire was for things to change. In his context, this meant that he was to leave behind the traditions that alienated the Gentiles and to embrace them as brothers in Christ. It would take some time, but Peter was willing to give it a try. Peter didn't just hear it and go, oh, I ain't doing that. Right? God would have taken the message to the Gentiles. He just wouldn't have used Peter. But because Peter was willing, Peter, Peter was on board with what God had for him, God used Peter in this miraculous way to do it. Peter loved others enough to be willing to go against his traditions in order to bring the good news of Jesus to others. He embraced the change that God had for them. So can the same be said of us? 
as Christians, as believers, and even I'll, I'll even go a step further, as the faith family of Grace Baptist Church, can the same thing be said of us? Are we willing to consider and follow changes that God is calling us to, even if it means leaving behind our traditions and our comforts? I recently read it, that a healthy church is willing to do anything short of sin. They're willing to do anything short of sin to reach those outside of the church with the gospel. So that means that if that means that they have to change their service times, guess what they do? Change their service times. If it means they have to uh, change a location, they're willing to change that location. Whatever they need to do to reach people who are far from Christ, they are willing to make that change. How far are we willing to go? Do we truly love others enough to be willing to make hard choices? Or will we be like Peter at first and say, no, God, I'm not doing that. I'm not willing to do that, Lord, because that's going to make me uncomfortable. Are we willing to make those choices? Will we follow Jesus to reach others outside of these walls, or are we happy with the way that things are? The answer should be easy. It should be a simple, absolutely, God, I am willing to do whatever you call me to. But the follow-through will require that we lean on the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this passage, Lord. It is, uh, as I jokingly said, it is pivotal in the, uh, in the story of Acts, Lord. It is one of the uh, most important events that we're going to come across as we study through this book, Lord. Father, it, it, it was the bringing of the gospel to the Gentiles, which was a complete paradigm shift. It was a completely different way of thinking for Peter and for those who were with him. And as we're going to see as we continue, it was something that was not easily accepted by others in the church. But Father, I, pr I, I thank you so much. I thank you that uh, Peter and, and the church were, were willing to trust you and to know that even though you were calling them to do something that they were not, they, they were not excited about, that they were not ready for, it's something that was difficult and was going to be painful for them, at the beginning, Lord, that they were willing to trust you and know that you had a plan, that, that your plan was to bring the gospel to all people. And so, Father, I pray the same thing could be said of our church. I, say, I pray that the same thing could be said of each one of us, that we are willing to do whatever you would call us to. I remember last year, Lord, I prayed uh, and, and I asked people to uh, pray and ask you about the big, scary things that you would have us do, those lose your pudding things. Uh, and Father, I, uh, I know that that kind of, I, I lost sight of, of those prayers, but Lord, I pray that there are still people who are praying that, that those things that are scary and those things that are difficult, those things that are uncomfortable that you may be calling us to, that we wouldn't like, be like Peter at first and say, no, Lord, I'm not going to do that, but that we would trust you and know that you have a plan for all of those things. Father, I pray also, Lord, that there may be people uh, listening uh, via Facebook. There may be people sitting here in the service today uh, who are like Cornelius, who, who are religious because they're here this morning, uh, who are trying to earn, earn their way to heaven because uh, they're doing good works. When we, Lord, we know that salvation only comes through Jesus Christ, through putting our faith in what he did on the cross, that he was crucified for our sins, that he was buried, and three days later he rose from the dead. 
um, showing that the, the, the offering had been accepted and that our debt had been canceled. Father, if there's anyone here today who is relying on their good works um, for their salvation, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would lay those good works aside and that they would trust you to know that only through having faith in what you've done is how we, uh, how we are saved. Father, I pray, uh, pray for that. Lord, if there's anything else that needs to be dealt with, whether it's forgiveness or whether it's um, bitterness or anger or any of those things that need to be uh, dealt with, I pray that the Holy Spirit would work on people's hearts and that today would be a, a day of, of laying burdens down. Lord, we ask all of this in your beautiful name. Amen.